You are watching the Wayne Cueto Show, and it is Wednesday. It is hump day. It is the middle of the week where we get to reflect on what just happened on a, another great weekend of Hawaii sports. And if you're talking right now, everything is about the men's volleyball team at the University of Hawaii, who is headed to the national championships next week in Columbus, Ohio. And I will be there, too, following them. Um, and it makes sense, right? Because if you're looking at the screen right now, and you're like, who is that little Hawaiian kid and his blonde-haired friend next to him? Alas, you would be correct, and that is myself in 1995 supporting a guy we're going to bring on the show tonight and his rainbow uh, volleyball team, a team, a program that has been, uh, you know, through a lot of ups and downs, but in Hawaii, uh, a team that has had a, a, a spot in our culture, our sport, our sports culture for decades. Um, as you can see on the screen, that's me as a little kid uh, in the 1996 Rainbow Men's Volleyball Guide. That's a very, uh, uh, gosh, how do I describe that year, 1996? Because there is some heartbreak there, as a lot of you remember. But the man you've all caught, you see him right there on the screen, a guy that... Uh, really set the tone at the University of Hawaii and um, in terms of, uh, you know, this, this, this talent from Israel. And um, he brought his friend A.L. Zemet along eventually, and we started these pipelines. And speaking of A.L., and uh, A.L. was on the team with guys named Tony Ching and Kimo Tuye and Vernon Padlusi, one of the greatest liberals to ever play the game as well. Uh, but in 2002, the team finally got over that hump. So let's see if you remember this. Make sure I play it first. Points, five chances for national championship honors. And Mike Wilton, Tino Reyes, Aaron Wilton. This could be it right here. Hawaii for its first win with a block. No, it's a free ball for the win. They are Arenas. He's got it. And Hawaii has won the national championship. What a moment that was for me personally, uh, but for the whole state of Hawaii to be able to see, have the boys bring home a title. Um, state College, Pennsylvania. I was there that night. I took a... Greyhound and a couple trains from uh, my college, Vassar College, where I, I was on the men's volleyball team there as well. We Our season was over by this point in the EIVA, but um, to go back to Penn State and see them get to play my home team, the Warriors, and or actually on that court and, and win that, that national championship over Pepperdine was a really cool thing for me as well. But um, as some of you know, that, that title was stripped um, and... That obviously was something that, um, or has been a little bit of a mark on this program, we could say. But at the same time, how remarkable for this team to have uh, had a, a certain level of success. And one of the guys that really started that trend of success, a guy that um, his name is still uh, talked about in Hawaii, and his name is uh, still mentioned in a lot of Hawaii circles because of what he did, not just on the court, but off the court. Uh, supermodel and actor, a guy you've probably seen on HBO, you've probably seen somewhere, and that's Jason Olive. And I'm going to bring him in 
right now. And that's our boy, Jason Olive. Mahalo for joining us today, Jason. Well, as you, um, you, you know, as you, you are a volleyball nerd. I mean, I think that's, that's easy to call because you have not left the game and you are a guy that loves to teach the game, coach the game, and I know love to watch the game. And your team, your old boys, um, they're in the NCAA championships and, you know, I'm sure it brings a lot of flood of memories. But talking about this 2021 squad, um, you know, what do you look forward to uh, with this team in particular? Uh, everybody's breathing a huge sigh of relief that Alan Knight is not mm-hmm. in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it almost doesn't even matter what group of guys that coach is coaching. He, he, um, I actually, you know, had the honor <laughs> of playing against him. I think that was my freshman year. That guy was just masterful. I actually, I actually played on, on the beach, uh, with Jason Stimfick, who was a guy that grew up around, we grew up playing together well not together but on the same beaches basically growing up so i was always seeing he would play a lot with his dad which was always awesome to watch um but i grew up watching him play and and really loving his beach game and then when i got out of college we played a little bit on tour together um but that team you know uh with with knight was was so solid it was mm-hmm. incredible um i think whitcomb was on that team and you know they were they were they were incredible um and again, you know, huge oppo, like, like, mm-hmm. you know, every, every good, every final four team is going to have a really good oppo. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, of course. so it's like Rado um, this year for UH yep. and UV, all yeah, that, those yeah. opposites have been, uh, you a look down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look down the line and it was, it was kind of like my generation where you had Tom Sorensen, you had all these guys coming through Scott fortune. You had all these guys in that oppo position, just getting more and more and more important. Um, Mark Presho was, was the stick, you know, which is something we call the oppo sometimes, you know, the stick when, yeah. you know, I was mm-hmm. a young player, incredibly heavy, heavy ball. Right. Um, uh, and some good teams that just never <clears throat> seem to crack the bubble in terms of getting out of playoffs, but some really good teams. Um, and um, so, you know, <clears throat> but your middle play becomes incredibly important because you're mm-hmm. only going to win with defense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you in, in, in that sense, you know, using, having the middle destabilize the other, other imbalance, the other, defense right and then and then being able to maintain balance on your side with uh the movement movement to the ball the one thing that worries me about that game is how little they used a middle that was hitting so well Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so hawaii is going to have to figure out (laughs) very quickly how to talk to their setter get him more confident um and basically very quickly sink in his head mm-hmm. how you win big games, yeah. right? You yeah. do not win big games by not trusting your hitters. Mm-hmm. When you watch mm-hmm. a setter go away from your, from, your four, from your left side hitter 25 feet behind him for the match, that's one of the worst sets in Hawaii history, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because of what it says to the entire team. Right. You're on the guy. He's your left side hitter. And you go, now I'm going 25 feet backwards to a guy 
maybe at that point barely hitting positive, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because I got news for you. When you get to the final four, it does not matter what your name is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Nobody's backing down. Yeah. Nobody cares. You're either beating the ball up or you're not, right? And that has to be a very quick game time alteration, right? It has to, the, the coaching staff, the setter, they have to realize, listen, it's not going to be a guy's night every night. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that guy that's not having the night might be your number one, or it might be your number two. Right. So that was kind of what worried me is that you're seeing that at you know, this such a pivotal position that you're seeing a ball, you know, the ball continually forced to a guy that it's just not his night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And there's so many other talented, big hitters, um, uh, fantastic attackers on that team. Right. You would just like to see, Hey, a timeout and that conversation had and the ball start going other flowing other places. And also, you know, for a hitter, you have, if you, let me put it this way, if you lose the belief that your setter trusts you, your, your night is just over, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. you know, it's very hard to concentrate or have confidence in the rest of the, your game when you see that kind of thing going on. When you see Hawaii play with confidence, it's because they're playing with grit. Right. So you always have to you always have to play with that that grit and that in that warrior mindset, which has been a wonderful thing to see restored to the program because it disappeared for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think for us alumni, that's one of the things that we're 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 most excited about is it seems like, you know, to a large extent, that culture of warrior volleyball, Hawaii volleyball, wiping the floor with your shirt. Uh, nothing touches the ground without a body touching the ground. Uh, you know, a culture that cares deeply about ball control. Um, all of those things have returned. You know, we've seen the we've seen the the wins and and the postseason uh, success from that. Right. We've mm-hmm. seen that mm-hmm. over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Look, without that, yeah. maybe they're not even in it anymore without yeah. what they've done over the last two years. But it's to a point where the core of these guys have performed so well over the last couple of years. You know, you can't deny that they definitely deserve to be in the tournament because we all know if there's mm-hmm. a chance to deny Hawaii, we will mm-hmm. be denied. Well, I mean, uh, as when you look at. The format, it was easier to deny Hawaii, right, back then. I mean, they were only picking a Final Four, and they are only picking one team, right, only one at large. So when you look at mm-hmm. that criteria and if you applied it to today, there's probably a good chance that Hawaii could have been left. Oh, out. God. Oh, go going back, even, even some of the, you know, my favorite Hawaii team of all time, which was Allen Allen's last year, which mm-hmm. was the team I signed my recruitment letter watching. I just never seen volleyball played like that. You know, um, and the makeup of the team, of course, right, was just mm-hmm. like 
unlike any other team. I was actually mm-hmm. watching them uh, back then. You know, the coach was Rose Hill and then Tony Crabb, who was also uh, the uh, technical coach working with the U.S. team, uh, came out and played LMU. And that team was one of the one of the most exciting one of the most exciting teams I've ever seen volleyball still to this day play. And, you know, I think, I think, I think what happened was, um, well, no, the story story was, is that again, amazing oppo Carlos Brasino played in a beach tournament. I think they handed him a, a shirt and a ball and he went home and someone turned it in as accepting uh, prizes. Oh, right. Wow because back then you couldn't take anything. So mm-hmm. it was like 50 bucks and they, they bounced the team out of, out of the tournament. That's crazy. And they were, they were amazing. That was the team that, you know, it was, it was the, I think it was the world's, I know it was NCAA longest game, but I think it might've been the world's longest game at that point when they played Pepperdine inside Clum gym and you had uh, the Punahou boys, uh, uh, the rigs mm-hmm. were, were, were both at Pepperdine. And it was just, it was like, it was, yeah. I mean, you're watching a team from California, a team from Hawaii, but really, I think what what it really was, was an inner island grudge match. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it was like mm-hmm. a fight in an alley, <laughs> you know? And it was floor. I mean, if anybody has a chance, that game, if you want to watch one of the most amazing volleyball games ever played, um, it's online and it's Pepperdine versus Hawaii. That must have been 90. And in Clum Jam, I think it was five hours and something. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah, it was over. I know it was over five. But, um, yeah, that was that was an, that was an incredible game. I mean, things that – and athletic plays that you just don't really see anymore, you know. And mm-hmm. At one point, mm-hmm. Allen passes a ball over his shoulder, spins 360, and hits a one. And you hit it so straight down that it didn't even matter that it was out of bounds. The game was over. It's like wow. everyone's just in shock. Like <laughs> the, it was over. Like even though the ball was out of bounds, it was like okay, it's over. <laughs> wow. Well, you you talking you know, about Allen? Like I mean, stuff like that. You got guys that that lineage. These young mm-hmm. guys that got to know the lineage yeah. and to go what the representative. You can't walk out there and do what you did. Mm-hmm. With UC San Diego, the first year UC San Diego was a Division One team. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this is a great story for everybody listening. There's Juju, right? There's Juju out there. Different teams have different Juju. Hawaii never loses to Santa Barbara. That used to be the Juju. Like they mm-hmm. just couldn't beat us. I don't care. You you had the <laughs> you had the three time gold medalist Todd Rogers. Didn't matter. You weren't beating us, right? Never lost to him. Never lost to him. And but a weird one is UCSD. And this goes back to the first time UCSD was ever a Division One team. And we played them. And we had to, so we had to travel. We traveled to UCSD. Well, NCAA team. I mean, they're they're still. They only became Division One. But I think you, you, oh, you mean the volleyball team itself was was playing in yeah. the NPSF. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. This was the school their itself first year. was still. Yeah, because the school itself was still D three. I think until recently, and then um, and then it went to now it's D one. Now they're in the Big West fully, all sports. But I think back then only men's ah. volleyball was playing in the NPSF. But they were a Division three school still. I don't think they had first year. First year, of, 
any sport. No, no. I mean, my sister went to UCSD. Oh, okay. You, know, you go okay. to third college to learn how to, you know. I don't, yeah, I thought I men's volleyball, know. though. Weren't they you know in the, mean, you, they were you MPSF, there be a right? Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what's that? They were MPSF, yeah. right? So all of you were all in the MPSF, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but this was their first year. Oh, okay. This was their first year that they got it. And and I I think I was a reg, I think I was a redshirt freshman. And we go there because I had just started kind of playing a little bit. I don't know if I was starting yet, but I know I was on the bench when this play happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so long story short, okay, we're like number five in the country or something. We're top ten for sure. Mm-hmm. And we are in game five against UCSD. Wow. And this losing this game would devastate our season, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're in game five, and UCSD has this kid from Hawaii, Lance Lanson Lum, and he is destroying us, just like the kid at UCSD that match, right? The, the left side, I don't mm-hmm, know, I think mm-hmm. he was a left yeah. side hitter, right? Mm-hmm. I can block it on his name. Um, and, you know, no one knows anything about him because, of course, we never watched any tape. This this was supposed to be over an hour ago, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And he's just killing us. And it is old school scoring, right? They are up. In old, so last game to 15, right? So old school rules. You're playing to 15. Mm-hmm. They're up 14-13. And they serve, transition, set Lansom, goes up. Our block is just huge. He goes up, roll shots over the over the block. <laughs> Larson Villiamo, who people won't remember, one of the hardest hitters in the history of volleyball. Such a cool dude. He goes, sprawls out, pancakes the ball, screams nice. up. We play it out, side out, get like the next four points, get on the bus, go home with the win. Here's the thing. Larson missed that ball by about a foot and a half. Really? <laughs> he just called it ball. He, he was like, ball. ball <laughs> and screamed up. And yep. no one, including the ref, could believe that UCSD could beat Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And we scored the next four points, got on the bus and went home. Went, <laughs> got on the bus, went to the airport, got on the plane. And I think we ran for like a month and a half after that. Wow. Right? Wow. You know, and so I say all this stuff not not out of uh, critique, but out mm-hmm. of uh, wisdom, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Been there, been yeah. there against a team like that where you just, you know, you just don't feel like you have to show up. And, and you know, as you get older, you realize how disrespectful that is, right? How disrespectful yeah. that is. Um, forget the fans, forget yourself to the game, right? Yes, yes, yes. The, yes. the respect that we owe is the respect to the game. And you can never disrespect the game. The game will grab you and take you into the deep end mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fill your lungs with water, brother. It is, it is no joke. And when you get into this rarefied air, okay, mm-hmm. that, that funnel gets tighter and tighter and tighter. So I think if these guys go out there and – 
remember to be grateful for the opportunity. Remember to be grateful for um, the the position that they're in, surrounded by such great players, right? That they mm-hmm. they could they could they could be here on this kind of stage and all of the work that goes into it from everybody from the ball boys to, to the NCAA. Oh, how did you even make this season happen? You have to give guys back their, back their COVID year. you got to find money. You've got to find, you know, you got, you got to, hopefully you can get on a plane and have your see all the stuff that went in. I think that if our guys can remember everything that it took to get to this moment and play with that gratefulness and respect I think they get the ring. I think they're mm-hmm. good enough. I think they're good enough to do it. Well, we've seen, um, you know, like you said, we've had heartbreak. We've had teams maybe not respecting the game, players not respecting. I, I know for me, as a former player, I remember those moments that I, I didn't put in everything that I that I still to this day regret, maybe not making the right move, not even putting that effort. And some of those things can stay with you forever. Like you said, you get sucked into that game. That game will, will remind you of that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But... This team has had some heartbreak, and uh, but at the same time, to get to the level that they are at right now, and for Hawaii to be an elite program, it needed to start from somewhere. And you talked about, you know, in your recruiting trip, Hawaii maybe wasn't an elite program yet because 1995 uh, was the first time that the, the team ever appeared, right in the Final Four. Right. Well, well, right. That was the first time we went to the Final Four. And look, when when I in my recruiting year, Hawaii gave money to two people, myself and Lee LeGrand. Lee LeGrand ended up moving on, and he was the first player who was good enough to put Irvine on the map, actually. Mm. Irvine was not on the radar until Lee LeGrand showed up there, um, and that started that 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 push, you know. Um, but, you know, my thing was that in recruiting, when I saw Hawaii, you know, the schools that were recruiting me, because I also got recruited for football – but like volleyball, it was the only team I saw with any brown people on it. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> including my high school team. <laughs> you, know, you know, I went to well, watching that 2002 a- game, watching that 2002 game against Pepperdine. That was kind of shocking to me, too, watching Pepperdine. I mean, of course, well, I love you, James Caught, and everybody else that, you know, went over there from Hawaii. But I mean, yeah. I, I was like, wow, that team is not as diverse as our team, but, um, you know, I guess that's the game as well. Well, well, the sport, the men's, the men's sport has, is, and continues to be, you know, suffer from a lack of, of diversity for sure. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, much better on the women's side. Um, but still not where it should be once you get to the Olympic level. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, at, at some point, you know, the sport has to come to grips that its soul is not as clean as it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. And it never has been. There's been so Mm -hmm. much stuff that's happened from Dexter Rogers, right. Dexter Mm -hmm. Rogers getting kicked off the men's team. Dexter Rogers. Listen, I I played in the first Mm -hmm. jump serve generation. And what I mean by that, if you go back and you look through all the playing tape and all that kind of stuff, it was Mm -hmm. during those years, those early nineties years where, all of a sudden you had to have two, three guys jump serve. Yeah. Right. You yeah. had to have it. Then as even by the time I graduated, you had to have four or five guys with a really decent jump serve and the jump float started showing up more. But if you go back and you watch it, those games, you know, you know, like my early freshman games, I go back and watch them. 
And you got guys standing on the ground, float serving from, you know, 30 <laughs> feet behind the line. And yeah. Closing, I mean, those you know are I mean? difficult to, to pass though. I mean, those, those balls yeah, will well, come with so is, much movement. You know, it is. Hey, yeah. hey, it's, 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 it's not a, it's not an art to be, uh, uh, you know, put down at all. Uh, but mm-hmm. You know, you, it, the game the game grew to the point where you had to jump serve to win, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the guys that were the leaders of that were were Sato and Dexter Rogers. I mean, Dexter Rogers basically jump serves the U.S. team into the Olympics. Wow! And then gets sat down and told, "Man, you know what? You don't really fit the picture, right? You don't fit the picture." And that is one of the saddest. That is one of the saddest things that has ever, you know, that you know, you really ever heard of in, in volleyball. <laughs> um, but you know, it never. It, it just. It just has continued. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to go play for somewhere, I want to play for Hawaii because, you know, they they obviously don't have a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Right creating a level playing field, which is, which is truly all it is, is the playing field level or not, you know? Um, and, and, and that team, you know, so yes, you know, my goal was to win a championship. We fell short, but definitely feel very good in the sense of, of being able to help the team reach a final four. But I still say that team of Alan Allen and Damien and Carlos and Van Sickle and Papinga and uh, Lyman LaCroix, the craziest setter I've ever seen in my life. Um, who, 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 well, you had both Papingas on that team. And then I, I know I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting some people, which is just <laughs> awful. Um, but um, I'm forgetting the, yeah, the left side. Here, so <laughs> I know we had um, we had some fun historians in that, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone someone posted. Someone put it on there. Uh, but uh, that team, you know, you, I, I would definitely one of the best Hawaii teams. So yeah, take the love for getting to the final four first. But um, in terms of the great Hawaii teams, you know, we're we're up there. You know, we're, we're in the top three. Definitely. Um, but. But uh, I, I think, you know, in terms of creating the culture, yeah, mm-hmm. in terms yes, of, cre- of creating that rock star feeling, I mean, look, so that all came, you know, that whole thing that led into the 10,000 fans and the world record and all that. First of mm-hmm. all, there was a stadium built. Everybody wants to go to a new stadium. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. that's there. Right. But I almost left that season. Like a lot of people don't know. I was kicked off the team that Really? At the end of the 94 season. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was a very difficult thing to go through. And I was gone. I had called Stanford and I was like, I was basically in, you know, they didn't have it back then, but I was basically in the transfer portal, you know, which was, wow. a tele- which was the telephone back then. Right. Mm-hmm. My parents were calling and, you know, had worked out some money from Stanford and I was going in the, in the, in the AD Kaya Headland at the time, mm-hmm. she called me in and said, listen, I heard about this. We don't want you to go. And I was like, well, I'm not playing under these conditions anymore. I, w- I was just, listen, I, I was not, I did not go there to play for Wilton. Mm-hmm. I did not want to play for Wilton. I did not feel that he was respectful of me or the work that I was putting in. And I just didn't need it. 
So I was going to take me and my thing and just go. Um, and earlier that year, right. It, I was all over the world on buildings and things like that from the, from the fashion sense. So it was a public thing. I mean, you know, there wasn't the social media. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine if there were, it wasn't explosive as it would be now. It would be the million Instagrammer guy. This would be, that would be just for sure. I was like, you're not leaving. Like you're not leaving. And Mm -hmm. so what happened was, was that they said, listen, we're going to take his control away from away. You're not going to be, well, how are you going to do that? You're going to give up your scholarship and we're going to give you a football scholarship which oh. was turned into an English concept. So I said, okay. Ah, so okay. that means I don't, you know, yeah. so basically I didn't have to go to practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I said, okay, that money um, was the money that was used with UV. Right. Mm. So that money, right. So it was basically an entire school working together, right. Wow. Working together to say, you know what? We're not going to let this go down this way, right? And so I appreciated that. But, you know, as far as me listening to a word they had to say, that that wasn't going to happen. And what happened was we got a whole bunch of guys who learned to play on their own on the court. And there was nothing more powerful than that. And of course, Uv was already a pro. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to hear from anybody. You know, half, <laughs> half the practices he was icing because he had sixty swings a game, and you know, it wasn't. I mean, seriously. I mean, no, yeah. The I mean, there was like fifty practice. kill games. I need to right? practice. Yeah. No, no. Uv don't need to practice. Man, <laughs> you've been swinging at ball since he was five years old. You don't need to practice. And we were fine mm-hmm. with that because you yeah. have to have both sides, right? Like yeah. if you watch mm-hmm. the Jordan thing, right? My famous, my favorite. One of my favorite parts about uh, that that Jordan biography, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is is when I think it was a press guy comes to talk to Phil Jackson about um uh what's his Rodman. Mm, yeah, yeah, and he's Rodman. Yeah. Listening, well, it's a problem because he's not here and he's late, and then he, and, mm-hmm. and Phil's like what he gets 14 rebounds a quarter. Like what what are you talking about? Right? And the team was fine with that. You have to have both, mm-hmm. right? Well, Rodman and, had and, to and, give – he went to Jordan's door to ask for a cigar or something. And that was the, oh, okay, we're, we're boys uh, now or something. That was Michael Jordan's way of saying I accepted him because he told me. But I know that's probably – I mean, Rodman Wayne, put up the numbers. He put up the numbers. Wayne, listen, listen. <laughs> I was playing in the Nationals for Outrigger, okay? I was playing in the Nationals. This was like 90 – it was either – it was somewhere between that summer of 95 and 97. Mm-hmm. And it was in Texas. Okay. And so we play and then we all go out that night. Right. And we walk into a club and there's this huge line inside the club. Okay. And we're like, what's going on? And finally we get through. And when you get to where the line is stopped, it's a red rope and inside the red rope in like this 10 by 10 private VIP thing is Rodman sitting in this big chair, smoking cigars, you know, girls, crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was like 1.30 a.m., 2 o'clock, and he was playing the next day in the playoffs <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Dennis Rodman, wow. Look Carmen Electra there too? Dennis Rodman forgets tennis shoes. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, but the team was like, who cares? And, and that was, that, you know, our team on, on, by, by 95, okay? And, and when I say learning lessons the hard way, you know, I had to watch guys lose their senior games. I had to watch teams disintegrate. I had to watch teams implode on each other to learn how to be a leader and to learn how to let the little things go on, on my end and also reach deep into questioning what mattered to me. And what mattered to me was my original commitment that I made to the college, right? And deciding that nobody was going to take that away from me. No situation was going to take away the love that I had for Hawaii, who gave me the opportunity, who surrounded me with, with you know, th- this loving staff that I had for three years who were like putting a lot of work into grooming me. Right. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and it was just so grateful. And it wasn't easy, man. These guys, yeah. I mean, the words that were said, I'm sure someone would probably like, you know, be kicked, you know, go be suspended for talking <laughs> to players that way. You know, I mean, the stuff that was said, but, but one of the things that happened was we had a we played me tie dye and mm-hmm. the one of the coaches with Nidai Tai, Masasan, he came over and he what a character, okay? But he decided that he was gonna coach me, right? Mm-hmm. And more than anything, what he taught me was how to deal with my ego and the egos around me. Yeah. Right. And, and 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 if you 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 have to decide whether you're going to play on a team and trust your teammates or if you can't get to the trust, then you know what? You should probably just leave. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because there's no use. There's no use being in the middle. Um, And that was that was a, a really fortuitous thing for me. And. You know, when I had to make that decision of whether to take off or to come back for that 95 season, those were the words that kept ringing in my ear. Like, like, are you really, are you in this for Hawaii? Are you in this, are you in this for your team? Or are you going to let this coach situation completely derail, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. your, your the things that, that really matter to you? Yeah. So, you know, for me, it was always about, playing for Hawaii and really like representing Hawaii. Like when you took the floor, you represented a culture, you represented, you represented a people, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was a different people than if you were at Stanford or you were at Pepperdine or you were at, you know, at at any one of these other schools, because I think in the totality of a season, try, I, I, I think, that I played against two other teams with like one black guy on it. You know, one was John bear who was a good player at Northridge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like I struggle for the next one. You know yeah. I mean? It's, yeah. you know, yeah. um, yeah. and you know, that's, that's one of the beautiful things of Hawaii is, yeah. is that, is that, you know, that cauldron that gets built with all, you know, all, all, all the different, all the different nationalities, people, um, ethnicities, cultures, 
in, in learning how to play Hawaii volleyball. These guys, no matter where they're from or whatnot, let's take away the UCS, UCSD game. That's upsetting. But hey, man, <laughs> we take it personal, man. But, but right. these other, they have been playing Hawaii volleyball, right? Old school. Mm-hmm. Allen Allen, mm-hmm. Damian Hardy, Lockwood, Popinga, volleyball. You know, yeah. those were hard. Yeah. Those were hard as nails teams. Those were hard as nails teams. So it's good to see that back. When we play like that, we play with anybody, anybody in the world, anybody in the world. Never mind NCA. Anybody in the world. You know, they went to Japan. They finally won a few points. You know, it's like, I talked to him before they went to Japan. You know, Josh says, talk to him. I said, well, you want to, you know, you, you want me, you know, you want me to blow smoke or you want me to tell him the truth? And he says, tell him the truth. And I said, okay, look, it was on a big screen, right? In the, in the locker room. We, we did a tele thing, mm-hmm. right? This was mm-hmm. before Zoom, right? And uh, I said, okay, here's the thing. You're going to go over there and you're not going to win a single game. But <laughs> just don't steal any sunglasses like UCLA and respect and learn. <laughs> Right. That's true, man. You you gotta have the respect. I mean, you know, you get yeah. you get eighteen year olds over in a foreign country, you never know what's gonna yeah, happen. Of course. So but you know, but they Nitai had come before and wiped the floor with them and then they went over there and this last trip they were able to win a few games. I don't know if yeah. they won a match, but they won a few games. And that's mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. Because in Japan, these kids are these 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 kids are training the purity of the sport from the time they're seven years old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When I was introduced to that, when I saw like I was a I was a redshirt freshman, so I didn't get to play in the games against mm-hmm. Nitai Dai when Masa mm-hmm. came over. I was literally their van driver. I was their van driver. What? And then I would get to play oh, against them in practice. Oh, yeah. cool. OK. I, I know. Cool. I still think about that. Like, That's who so me weird. Drive yeah, that I is so like weird. 18 years old. Like, who <laughs> driving the other drive team full of foreign people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so like, crazy. You know, I, as we say, it was a different time. Um, but I got to play against them in scrimmages, right? Mm-hmm. In in practice. But when I saw Nitai come out and do their warm-ups for that first game, I looked at my buddy and said, It's over. This is over. Like we don't have a chance. Because they did this warm-up drill where the coach would jump, hit as high as he can, and there was a digging line coming out of one. Okay. The team was like what, 14 guys, 15 guys? The ball never touched the ground two times through the line. Wow. When the when the drill ended, I mean, the coach caught the ball. Okay, let's go do something else. Because every single dig was perfect, and this coach was jumping and just piping the ball. And I went, oh, my God, this is over. I, this is – who who has ball control? This is crazy. Yeah, wow. And so it it woke you up to, oh, there's an art to this. There's, yes. there's, there's yes. an art. And so this is what Masa said to me. And this is what every volleyball player – athlete but we're talking volleyball needs to understand right and this is what he said the levels are first beginning learning okay and then you have proficiency you know pretty good pretty good and then you go and you have mastery right and then here's what he said he said next level i was like oh i always thought mastery was Mm -hmm. it he said no no no. the next level final level is entertainment Mm. interesting can you go can you go out there and play from your soul and demonstrate and from that with all the technique of the mastery playing in that way Mm -hmm. things will happen that people have never seen before and that's entertainment right 
Yeah. Can you play and celebrate and put on a show? Right. So what happened in 95, you know, led into 96, like, you know, obviously I wasn't there in 96, but I'm here, you know, people are calling me, yo, we got to be dragged out in ball carts. People are jumping up, jumping up <laughs> you know, over the tunnel. They're jumping from the tunnel into the tunnel. Like, right. I mean, it was just awesome. Right. But that was because like, you know, for me, when I decided to come back, I said, you know what? It, it's not it's not worth to do this mm-hmm. at 90% or 99%. You got to do full 100%. Yeah. All in every single day, every single day, yeah. all in. Right. And then all of a sudden it became super entertaining. Right. I mean, we also had a guy named Sivan Leone was like mm-hmm. a one man comedy show. Right. Everybody in remembers him and his, his tiger headband. Oh my <laughs> god! And 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 and, and Kurt, Kurt Vaughn, you know, he yeah, goes hair. home. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, you know. Well, those years, I think there was you know, a lot of acid going on, basically. <laughs> you know, the the those formative years of the Stan Sheriff. I remember having to, you know. During the week, remember they opening the Stan Sheriff to let people in to pick their seat. It was. Just such crazy that, like you said, that rock star, um, you know, just just everything surrounding the program was uh, so elevated compared to any other Division One program. You know, when I was at Northridge covering the team, there was a girl there, and I had to explain, or she was covering Northridge. She's like, "Why? I don't understand why there's so much media. Like, why you're taking the?" And I'm like, "I don't. It, the, these are rock stars. These boys are legitimate rock stars in Hawaii, and that's that's a beautiful part. A beautiful part about our, our the culture around it because." It brings in so many people. It brings in the rest of the island and, and like that culture you talked about that accepted you because of what you did on the floor. And, and, and you're always going to re- re- remember it for that for sure. Uh, but we definitely have to ask Jason Olive because when people talk about Jason Olive, you, t- you talk about your job basically. And that was, you know, walking, uh, you know, runways in Europe or, or doing photo shoots. But a lot of this people yeah. don't realize was at the same time as you playing um volleyball at uh and for for first of all we can talk about how that is impossible right now just because of the uh, ncaa yeah uh, that's likeness name and likeness and now that is starting to change but before ed o'bannon you know there was jason olive so you yeah. know, talk us through that your whole just that experience but also the ncaa and you as well yeah so uh yeah i had to fight that battle um, which is more of a rules battle than a legal mm-hmm. battle. It never became mm-hmm. a legal battle. Okay. But <clears throat> essentially, you know, the ruling was that there was two sides of the ruling. One was that you could not use your, your status as an NCA athlete to ingratiate yourself. Right, make money, take mm-hmm. prizes. Mom has a new house, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this is America, and you cannot take somebody's job away from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what I argued was like, look, I was making money doing theatrical stuff before 
I came to UH before I accepted a scholarship before I even started playing volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. And so when the, uh, MPSF, you know, the guy over at MPSF, the way I heard it from, because I was literally, I got, I got called to Kaya's office and she was on the phone and she basically hangs up the phone and goes, well, you can, you can do it. Right. Cause I had this job. Mm-hmm. that I was sitting agents wanted me to go do. And, um, I said, really, what happened? She goes, well, I don't know. He was walking to a meeting and he said, yeah, fine. He can go. And so what our argument, I mean, so basically that was the argument that like we had done it before. This isn't, you know, you can't stop me from doing work. I did just because I became a damn right. I remember what job it was because <laughs> I got up to leave and she goes, hold on. And on the other line is my agent. And he goes, listen, you're on the red eye to LA. I'll see you in LA at 5 a.m. Wow. And I go, he goes, you're going to New York. And I go, oh, what am I doing? And he goes, you're shooting Banana Republic with Bruce Weber. <laughs> and I, oh, wow. And I go, wow. who's Bruce Weber? <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> I go, he goes, um, I'll meet you at the airport with a book. Okay. Wow. Wow. Right. And so I get wow. on the plane and mind you, no cell phones, none of that. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. So I head to the airport, ticket waiting, you know, get to wow. LA. And I told my dad to meet me in LA and my dad meets me. Now my dad is born in 1929 in Kentucky. Okay. <laughs> so my dad is like, what the hell is going on? Why aren't you in school? Aren't you, aren't you in the middle of your season? Like, you know, and you know, he's at the airport at five in the morning. I go, dad, I'm going to New York. It's two days. I'll come back. And my agent is there and he's got this book and my agent is gay and my, he's got this book. And I'm at the time I'm studying fine art photography actually at UH and I'm looking at this book and I go, Oh my God, I know who this guy is. He's the guy that shoots all the homoerotic images of really buffed out dudes. <laughs> right? And my dad Basically. starts looking at this book and every page he turns, I'm going, he's not going to let me go. He's not going <laughs> to let me go. <laughs> Cause like, my mom was like always super socially liberal and all that. My dad, mm-hmm. not so much. And, uh, and he looks and he, I mean, dude, the book is this big, right? It's Bruce yeah. Weber. He closes yeah. the book and he goes, how much does this pay? <laughs> <laughs> and my agent goes, he goes, well, it's 7,500 a day for two days. And my dad goes, Oh yeah, he can go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a great story. Yeah. And 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 then and then then it's literally like I show up in New York, like I don't even and all I remember is dark, but I can't remember if it was daytime. I mean if it was morning or night. I think it was late, late night. And you know, you gotta find your way to a hotel and then you know, you're walking through New York and you get to the studio, it was industrial studio. And then I was like, isn't that Kate Moss? 
Wow. My first job. Wow. First job. Right. Wow. So what the NCA didn't know, you know, what, what the MPS was kind of thinking was like, ah, this guy's just a volleyball player in Hawaii. Like, mm-hmm. 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 whatever. Of course. Right. Yeah. They didn't realize that it was actually all on the other side. It wasn't that the fact that it was, I was a lot, it was the fact that all of these things were going up on skyscrapers, right? Like I probably like first four campaigns were banana Republic, Versace. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know. Oh, oh, I remember the other one. Cause I, cause they fired me. I was, I was working for yes, uh, <laughs> Oak tree. I was working okay. for Oak tree. And I missed a meeting. I missed a Saturday meeting because we had a night, a game the night before, and I slept through the alarm. And she <laughs> fired me. I called out. Oh, I'm listen, Liz. Like, wait. I go. I go. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she goes, "Don't worry, sweetie. It's okay." I went. Oh, thank God. You're fired. Click. I went. Oh my God. Oh my God. So then, this amazing photographer, yep. Italian like photographer, was shooting the campaign for Oak Tree. I wish I could remember his name. Gosh. I think I'll remember in a minute, but anyway, uh, and I'm sitting in red rock with the owner of the company and I go, you know, Mike, I got to tell you a little story. He goes, what? He goes, you fired me. <laughs> he goes, what? He goes, yeah. And I tell him the story. That's and he goes, amazing. and he goes, well, I guess she's going to be surprised because this is going in every single store in the world. And I go, yeah. She's gonna be surprised. Oh gosh, I wish you <laughs> sure you would love to see a look on her face. Wanna, you know, um, but anyway, so I had to uh, negotiate that. Yeah, you know, and and you know to you know to be objective. You know, Wilton. You know, you know he, he had his certain views about that kind of work, and I don't think he liked it. Didn't like me missing practice and all that. You know, kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, on the other side, the school is like. Dude, the guy is making a name for the school all over the country. Absolutely. And you got a 4.0 and he's an All-American. What more do you want from the kid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no one can ever convince me that he was on the up and up about that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I want to leave. But so yeah. that all that stuff was tied in. So while it was really cool, it was also like really not cool. You know what I mean? And, you know, so, you know, one time we were playing UOP, we were number two in the country. They were like, just started again. It was like their first year in division one. And we had a walkthrough and Bruce wanted me to shoot polo. We were shooting raffle in. So they called me up and they said, we need you for uh, two days, the today. And we had just finished practice and uh, tomorrow, and then you'll be back. And the game was, you know, that, the, the next following night and so oh, you were in no, california you, you were in california i was in, yeah we were we were at ulp yeah okay yeah so i so go cool. back and i say i say look my, my agent rick same agent and i say rick man i can't do it you know they're not gonna let me out i, I was walk through it's bullshit but whatever what can i do because mm-hmm. they literally wilton said literally said you're either at the walkthrough or you're you're done at uh to you just specifically to you yes yes oh, okay. wow. yes that was a conversation in the hotel room. So I go, okay. I go back. Rick can't do it. He goes, Jason, this is for over a million dollars. This is this is to, to become the Ralph Lauren guy. Bruce wants you. Mm-hmm. I'm calling you back in 10 minutes. Calls me back in 10 minutes. He goes, they will pick you up in a helicopter from the parking lot. 
Sly you. Sly you back. They've already cleared it. Okay. Go back down the hall. Oh, my gosh. Coach, look. They're coming with the helicopter. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I I can't, you know, you got to imagine how this sounds on the other end. Oh, yeah. Right now, listening to it. Okay. So I'll be gone and I'll, and look, I just have to miss the walkthrough. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, that's it. Yeah. No. You got to decide what you're going to do. I said, oh my God, dude. I'll walk through. Okay. So I go, I tell him back, I said, listen, no, I can't do it. And he says, well, you just made Tyson Beckford a really happy man. I said, Tyson, who? Who? Oh and he goes, don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll know. You'll see it. And I go, sorry, man. Sorry. Right. And, and just no one, no one in that world could understand it. No. You know. I can understand um, it. And my heart breaks a little for that. But I mean, you, you, you still did a lot of amazing things, but that is a great. A lot of amazing things. A lot of amazing things, you know. But it's just, uh, you know, I mean, that's the. You know, that's about like I told you when we were texting, I go, there's the story. Then there's behind the scenes story, you know, and the behind the scenes story is where, you know, it's it's, you know, up front is the glory behind the scenes, the guts. You know, what does it take? You know, what does it take and the decisions you make and how they affect you and and what means what to you? And, Mm -hmm. you know, how much does how much does your word really mean? Right. Yeah. Because I could have got on that helicopter and never come back to you. Yeah, ever. you could have. It, uh, and honestly, been fine. I, 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 and been fine. Y- yeah, uh, yeah. But not yeah. in my, but not in my heart. Mm-hmm. But not in my mm-hmm. heart because mm-hmm. I wasn't an all-American yet, right? Mm-hmm. That was my dream. My mm-hmm. dream. Like I felt, I felt. Listen, man, I don't know if this is what it takes because I coach, I coach so many kids now, right? Yeah. And like. For me, it's like I would never I would never want to be a college coach. Like I don't even honestly, right or wrong, I don't even really see that as coaching. Right. Hmm. If you're not teaching a kid how to play this game by the time they go to college, they already know everything about the game. To me, it's like, yeah, you haven't really coached the kids, right? You should know everything about the game by the time you're 16. From then, everything's just beginning better. That I'm passionate about. I'm passionate yeah. about coaching a kid from eight to 16 and watching them just be stone cold pros. I love that. Right. Right now, our oldest, our oldest kids are 13. They're dude. They know like what's in their brains is crazy. Like, you know, they're, they're basically division one, division two high mm-hmm. school players mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. 13, wow. you know, to me, I'm super, super passionate about that because I have my daughter. I'm super, super passionate about the women's game right now and supporting it and doing everything I can for the women's game. We don't have boys. We just we just have girls in our club. Um, but so I see it right from coaching all these kids. You know, we have about 80 in the club right now. And with thinking back on this and moments like that and decisions like that where there was literally nothing you can pay me. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that because I'm just, it's just a turn of phrase. I'm saying literally I was offered seven figures. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't worth it to me because I felt like in this, this might be unhealthy. I don't know. I'm still trying (laughs) to figure it out. But I felt like if I did not become a first team All-American before I left Hawaii, I was a failure. Mm. I totally believe it. Mm. I believe that so much. Like, I don't even know what would have happened if I had not achieved. Like, I, I like, I don't know how I would have dealt with it. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. So when when faced with those decisions and then faced with like getting kicked off the team and all that kind of stuff, the amount that I doubled down, right, or tripled down in some cases for that season was enormous. I mean, to the point I, I got drug tested twice for steroids. It's like, no, it's not steroids. I literally I literally am in the weight room twice yeah. every single day, which sometimes mm-hmm. meant four practices a day, wow. right? Because sometimes well, we would practice in the morning. I, so, I don't know if you're – you I mean, just talking about that, not to interrupt, but I, I had a question no, uh, from Jenny because she uh, – and you, you talked about that work ethic, and I, I know um, I just watched an NBA recently, Julius Randle, talking about how Kobe really showed him a work ethic – um, you know, uh, as a, to be a pro, I don't know if there's anybody that she asked, is there anybody that maybe inspired you, um, the most while you were at UH? Uh, I always thought about it like, God, this is so weird. I always literally always thought about it as a culture war. Mm. Always, I always thought about it like a culture war. So for me, it was, yeah, it was always a cultural. I, I, I didn't like when, like playing USC, like if you wa- watch us play USC in 1995 mm-hmm. and you will see everything that I felt about the game and about where I decided to play and all that at that time. Oddly enough, my nickname in college was the Mamba. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I, that, that is predated Kobe. So you are the no, original I too, Mamba. I had two. Mark, I used to have a shaved head. So, so Presho used to always call me the, the golden child because remember that movie had come out about the Mamba? <laughs> so he used to call me Golden <laughs> And the second one was the Mamba. Probably because I was the only black guy, but, you know, whatever. I'll take it. Um <laughs> Yeah, but those were, but, you know, so for, so for me, I, I don't know, in terms of work ethic, it wasn't like, it wasn't like looking at a guy and mm. seeing how hard he worked. Mm. It was like, we, this, we have to go, we have to win a championship. We have to like, in, and it took me four years to understand, Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, to build up to that work at that you know what i mean is is not not so much to understand but it's just like oh man this year we only did this it's going to take more next yeah. year yeah we're gonna oh jesus dude we lost first round it's gonna take more oh second round oh it's gonna take more it's gonna take literally every single second of the day right and then you got to get lucky then you got to get uv and then you got to yeah. get sean scott was a huge part sean mm-hmm. scott had a mm-hmm. lot of um body issues going on he was not going to play that year i literally went and begged him to play right i begged him to play like went to him went to his room and said man we we, there's no way we could do this to you we also got um nick Berger, who ends up you know if you look at the who these players ended up Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. when i when i say i you know to me that that generation of volleyball is one of the greatest generations 
of volleyball in America. Because mm-hmm. you look, mm-hmm. you got what a three-time gold medalist at UCSB. Yeah. You had okay, Dane, Dane and Fanoy were there yeah. my first couple years, so I got to play against them two gold medalists. Then you had. Uh, you know, I don't know how many members of the indoor gold medal team on that. I know Lloyd Ball for sure, but yeah. I know that that U.S. team was a little bit younger. He might but, still be playing, um, actually. He was playing as of what, like a couple of years ago, Lloyd Ball, before he threw, blew his knee out, right? Was it that finally stopped him at 40s or something? You're a 6'10 sitter. You don't need knees. You're a 6'10 sitter. Who needs knees? Yeah, we actually got to play against him. I got to play against him uh, one, in one tournament. We went and played a back east tournament. That was that was amazing because you never do a, mm-hmm. like a setter would dump to the back. Back row, which would just ridiculous. jump over you. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like it wasn't going down; it was just going deep into one. I was like, "What? Who does that?" Um, uh. But uh, you know, the, the Sean Scott right becomes I don't know how many times world champion, Manhattan Beach champion when he's got his name on the pier i think at yeah. least twice. I don't mm-hmm. even know. Lost count. Mm-hmm. Then you have Nick Berger, who becomes the m- number one for for Germany. Right. And then you have then you had UV. I mean, you know, it was just. An in- incredible talent in every team like that. I, you know, Hawaii had uh, I mean, sorry, UCLA had what, seven Olympians on their team. They, they had six on the court and then they had one sitting on the bench. I mean, Fred, so, Fred Robbins was on that team as well, right? I mean, no, Fred was guy. a little younger. Fred oh, actually he was younger. used okay. to come practice with us when he was. Ah, man, I don't even know if he was in high school. He, I think Fred might have even been in middle school. He would come and practice with us <laughs> because because Duke and Sean, yeah. right? Yeah, Duke and Sean were were on the team, and and so no, he used to come practice with us when he was little. But he was he was a little later on. No, but that 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 Hawaii that UCLA team that. You know, they were number one. We were number mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that was which was so upsetting about not making that final in 95 was because we were going to get the rematch with him. We just knew we were going to yeah. get the rematch. And I thought maybe we had a chance. But every single one of those guys became an Olympian. Every single one. Except <laughs> Neapoli. So OK, no, no, no. The one guy who did not Paul Neapoli, who just okay. I kind of yeah. I kind of hate volleyball. All right. He did it. He, he became a director. We actually did a film together. Uh, he really? did a film called. Yeah, Beach Kings. Beach Kings. All about beach volleyball. Wow. It's amazing. Oh, B-movie classic. Come on. Okay, uh, Beach Kings. All of volleyball is in it. I yeah, it got it. bought by MGM. It's called, uh, it was called, originally called Green Flash. They bought it, changed the name to Beach Kings. Everybody's in it. Everybody in the pro beach circuit's in it. Um, even Al Skates is in it. Um, <laughs> nice. And, I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because it's this funny thing about the Manhattan Beach Open is that anybody can go to the qualifier, right? Ah, and, okay. And so that was a funny thing where Paul put in there is he put Al Skates, and I forget who's playing with Al, as a qualifier team, and they're just talking crap to these young <laughs> to these young kids, you know? Wow. And that really does happen. That really does happen. Oh, I almost um, was a victim of that. We got to shout out the late, great Masui Allen, who actually trained me uh, the summer of 2010 to... Uh, you know, try to to make it on the on the beach, and he was an incredible athlete, an incredible man, and I just want to you know drop his name as well because he is uh, a guy who's been around the program forever. But um, what a you know Sui. amazing history. Oh uh, yeah, Sui is incredible. But so he's the only one that didn't become an Olympian. He's also holds the all time kill record for UCLA. Mm. So technically, he was their worst player. 
Kevin Wong, Olympian, Nygaard, yeah. three-time yeah. captain of the U.S. team. Um, yeah, Stein Metzger uh, was on back then too. Oh, Stein Metzger, a yeah. beach, beach Olympian. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, oh, yeah, the other guy that kind of sucked, the gold medal coach, John Spira. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you just keep going, Sullivan, yeah. U.S. team. Yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it just keeps going and going. It's a ridiculous team. Uh, but yeah, you know, that was it was an amazing era, era to play in. Um, and you, 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 if you wanted to compete with those guys, it just, it just took everything you had in terms yeah. of training and weight training. We had the great Curtis Saruta. Okay. Mm. The background of those rock star teams was the strength and conditioning guru, Curtis Saruta. Okay. We, 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 <laughs> we called him Asian Yoda. Um, and it was so funny. He, he was this small Asian guy with a Texas draw. We didn't know what to make of him. And as soon as he started training us, we started just, I mean, I went from touching 11, four to 11, eight in a year and a half. Wow. You're wow. supposed to the Olympic team. If you looked at the Olympic wow. team jump recordings, once guys got into the Olympic thing like even if you were looking at Karch's jumps and all this kind of mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. it was like they would go up two to a year and they usually top out at four so in other words they would like maybe go from 11 to 11 four 11 two mm-hmm. to 11 mm-hmm. five something like that within a three-year or four-year span I went up from I went from 11 four and I'll never forget these these camera guys came in we were, we were playing some big match and and there weren't usually cameras at our at our mm-hmm. practices over the years you know yeah. In 95, you just had to say, look, shit's done changed, you know, because there was cameras all the time. <laughs> and so they came in and they there was a jump tester there. I don't even know why. There was a, you know, a, a verta, verta yeah. machine. Yeah. And they were like, they were like, hey, Jason, you know, can we see how high you can jump? And I'm like, sure. You know, and went up and touched like 11 to, no, oh, that's not going to work. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> And went up and touched like 11, four. And I was like, that was good because that's what I yeah. touched. Right. I mean, that, uh-huh. you know, that's where I, th- and, and, and I go, hold on, because I realized I had so much more left. Right. And I went up and touched 11, eight and I was like, whoa. Right. And that was when, that was when it sunk in how much all that hard work Mm-hmm. The right way, of course, with the with the with the techniques and stuff uh, Curtis had taught us the plyometrics. Right, this yeah. was this was yeah. when the beginning of plyometrics being okay. really super important. Yoga, right? Yeah. We had yoga. We had started, uh, Troy wow. Holtz. Mom was a yoga teacher, and we went and played oh, wow. on the Big Island. And he was like, "Okay, everybody's got to do yoga." We were like, "What the hell?" Okay, really? Right? That is fascinating. Wow. Yeah, yoga changed everything. Yoga, yoga yeah. allowed by lengthening mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. It allowed all the explosive power, you know, to express itself. So wow. um, that was that was huge. You know that that team, man. That team was in the weight room nonstop. That team worked mm. hard. Mm. Worked really hard. You know. Well, that team, um, like you said, uh, got got a little short of the national championship, but you got your goal as all American, um, and you, you leave UH with a degree and uh, move on. And you know, just talk about how life kind of expanded from there for you. Yeah, well, you know the the basically, I was at at, at the top of the of the fashion world, mm-hmm. going and 
you know, I would go and do uh, Paris, Milan, uh, and like Germany was interesting because sometimes you do the German shows in Germany, but sometimes you do them elsewhere, Hong Kong, and what anyway, Paris, New York, wow, Milan, Paris, New York, the main three, but then you, you know, kind of do Tokyo, Hong Kong. Um, Germany, sometimes depending, Spain also. So you you would just kind of do this whole circuit. It's like a traveling circus, right? Everybody would go, all the magazines, all the models, you know, the designers, and and you would just kind of go on this this circuit around the world. Um, winters, I think, was in Miami, South Beach, right? Um, and just working, working, working. So you know, it was it was interesting for me because. I was always kind of blinders on, you know, in terms of school and sports. And I, I, I never really took the pedal off the gas in a sense, you know, um, I mean, look, yeah, you, you, you I, seem I, to have I, a very high level of emotional maturity for a kid. I mean, or for a college kid. I mean, that's what I struggled the most with. I mean, decision-making and just the mental aspect of the game is so important. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know if that's something that was ingrained by you, by your parents or coaches or, or what that was, but you, you had to make decisions like meaty yeah. decisions pretty early on in your life. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I, I think, you know, I try to work on it with myself and I try to work on it with my daughter now because I think my, my parents were very empowering in terms of, me making my own decisions all my life since I was a kid to the point of being derelict parents. Mm. It's like, I don't know. (laughs) Could you tell me at least? Sounds like my parents. Sounds like my parents. (laughs) Yeah. Like, could you just give me some guidance? Like, could you, could you, Wayne, there's so many of those decisions (laughs) that I wish I would have made the other decision. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, you, you, you learn and you're like, that's the road. And I've learned and I've become like, Mm -hmm. I'm happy with the person who I am today, but, damn, couldn't you have just said go left there? Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, so yeah, you know, um, they really were. Um, I mean, but it's almost like I just really had no guidance. I was trying to make the right decisions and, and balance everything. Look, there was a large part of me. I remember Mike Cantor, who I played in high school with, and then he also played with me in UH. There was a large part of the decision to do fashion. I'll tell you, I've never shared this before, but I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up Wilshire and near the street called La Brea. And at the mm-hmm. time, La Brea was transforming. All of LA was transforming. Yeah. I mean, everybody you know, loves it, it to call living now. Yeah. That's all trendy yeah, now yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And La Brea was one of those streets that was kind of transforming to this like mm-hmm. kind of older, you know, up, up farther was like the Jewish area, kind of mm-hmm. orthodox and whatnot near Fairfax. And, yep. And, and, the diner. and, and then, the diner you know, the, it was just kind of mm-hmm. old, but it was starting to get trendy. And one of the first things that came in was this really cool coffee shop. This is way before Starbucks. Right. Um, and and it was like hit people would hang out. And because I had had this little whiff of the fashion scene, just a whiff of it, mm-hmm. I knew about these places now. Okay. And so I go, Mike, meet me here. Mike meets me. And we're, he's like, dude, I go, I know, man, but there's places like this all over the world, man. It's crazy. <laughs> like, you know, and, um, and, and so I go, dude, so 
I'm about to become like a really famous supermodel. And he goes, get the, get the fuck out of here. here. <laughs> I go, I go, no, man. It's, it's like, it's going to happen. And I got to ask your advice. Like, cause I got, I got some serious decisions that I have to make and I got to make them right now. And so we have this conversation because Mike and I knew, I mean, we went to prom together or whatever it was, winter dance or whatever. And we did everything together, man. We trained together. We, we played on the beach together and he was always a really level headed guy. And I remember I told him, he goes, well, why? Like, why you? I go, well, you know, <laughs> wow. I'm going to, I'm wow. going like to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I said, Mike, I'm going to be honest with you. I think a little bit of it is because they want to have diversity, but I'm kind of like mixed diversity, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah, I know well. And, you know, I'm just kind of getting anointed to this spot. And um, the rest, I don't have any control of. Just born the way I'm born, whatever. Um, and, you know, I was conscious of that. I was, I was, again, I was conscious of the cultural aspect and the importance of it. Because there had never been, there had been some bigger black models and guys who became world famous. Jaiman, Husan, right? Uh, Oscar winner and uh, mm-hmm, Adewale mm-hmm. were probably mm-hmm. the two biggest black models ever, mm. but they weren't put in campaigns like that. They were famous because like photographers were just fascinated by, you know, this beautiful physique and this very African features. Right. But what people have to understand, Wayne, is that that has always been a thing in fashion. So like Vogue, which I can't stand, I just like, ugh, and I've been very close with it, very traveled sure. with Leon Pally for a long time, but I just lost all respect so many decades ago for that magazine because Anna Wintour, everyone thinks is amazing. I just, I just <laughs> not on board, right? Because with her, you would see like this thing of when people talk about like institutionalized racism and how does that mm-hmm. start and culture and, and what's beautiful and not beautiful for these people, it's beautiful if it's exotic, right? Yeah. If yeah. I can tell that that person is from Africa and is like exotic, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I'll deal with it. But show me the number of African American women on Vogue covers and you're mm-hmm. down to like. Yeah. 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 A couple. Right? Yeah. One time I was, I'm going to go back to my story, but I just want to explain the extent of this because I've said some things that might be incendiary right now, but I want to explain <laughs> this is this is because I was there, okay? Yeah. I was there with Naomi in Paris with tears coming down her face at, at two in the morning because Vogue had just come out and they promised her the cover and it was going to be a big deal that they're going to put a black girl on the cover and they reneged for whatever reason and that was the first vogue that ever came out with two covers a front cover with a white girl might have been kate moss i don't know and a back cover with naomi and you could flip the magazine over and read it backwards or you could flip it and read it the right way because the whole magazine was like cut in half and reversed yeah so whatever they they display i guess yeah she was exactly Uh, oh yeah exactly wow and she's just in tears 
And I'm there with Carl Lagerfeld and Andre Tao. And Andre Tao is, of course, always with with associated with with Vogue. Now, okay, if anybody's watching, don't know these I, names. He's literally saying the who's who of the most famous fashion photographers of all time, basically up there. Big, so biggest sure designer in the yeah. world, right? And and Andre, the biggest fashion mm. guru in the world, and Naomi, greatest supermodel ever. <laughs> and so this 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 was going to change that to that extent that it was going to be like an American black mm. right? And so I felt a responsibility, right, also to go to this. So at the same time, I felt a responsibility for my sports and I had these goals and I had this thing of being an All-American that for whatever reason, I just could not live without achieving. I also felt like, hey, this is the first time in history that this kind of beauty has been um, represented. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and one of the one of the big things what it really hit me was when um, the Calvin Klein campaign released, which is one of the bigger ones I did for sure. Shot mm-hmm. by Avedon, released all over the world. And I started getting mail from South Africa. Wow. Right. And I actually yep. got invited yep. to meet um, Nelson Mandela. Uh, <laughs> Nelson Mandela. Sorry, thank you. In South Africa. Oh, wow. Um, OK. Very real. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't take the trip. Oh. I, I, yeah. I could have used my parents on that one. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, but, but the reason was that people had never seen a black person on a billboard in, in, mm. in South Africa. Wow. But because wow. it was Calvin Klein, of course it was going on yeah, a billboard. Wow. And I was the guy. That's so amazing. there, Just, there were, yeah. there, just yeah, of the so politics of the post-apartheid times in South Africa and 100 100 you know, 100%. The reason I didn't go was funny is that Naomi involved together was because I had watched this film about these girls going to South Africa and and asking people for like diamond rings and stuff. I was like I was like girl that's like going to Alabama in 1700s and asking for a cotton sweater. Like what's wrong with you? And I felt like I was going to be able to meet Mandela under different terms. I, I felt at the time. And I was like, ah, if I go, I want to go with a different cohort. That was a stupid decision. Really dumb decision. Oh, these are great stories. Uh, Bradley says, these are great stories. I had no idea. And he, you know, I, I think a, a lot of your traveling too, because a lot of the people that watch the show are into traveling, following the team. But for you, you've been to so many cities, continents. What is, what is one of your favorite places to travel? Bradley is asking. Greece, Greece, Greece. Uh, I call them my white Hawaiians, man. Those are my <laughs> white Hawaiians. That's what I call them. It's like, when you go to Greece, it's like the people, like the life. It's like you're in Hawaii. Wow. It's so cool. Like, don't get me wrong. There's no match for the Hawaiian people, period. But that's as close as you're going to get. And the water is actually a little clearer. <laughs> it's, it's, you can't imagine. Like, I, I, it's kind of like the Hawaiian language where there's something mm. like 20 different words for blue in mm. Greek. Mm. It's some ridiculous yeah. number. But it all has to do with like the water, you know, uh, and the people are so amazing. Um, yeah, I, I just I had a, a dear friend kind of almost like, you know, my second mom, dear friend, Calliope Gregoria. She's uh, um, 
it, it's so funny because people see us on Facebook and you're like, they're like, how can you get along with this person? Because we, we could not be more separate. I'm like, well, because I know who she is, the most beautiful hearts in the world. You know, I mean, I just as long as she doesn't vote, I'm fine. Um, but, <laughs> no, but she's well, the greatest photographer that ever, ever lived in, in Greece. Amazing. She was such a mentor to me. Actually flew to Hawaii and shot me in Hawaii uh, wow. for, I think it was Vogue Bambini that year, like 94, 95, that's how we met. And, um, yeah. And, uh, just, just close, close friends ever since. And my, my good friend, Mano Gavras lives out there. Um, I love Greece. Uh, my wife is from Italy. I love Italy. Um, but I would say Greece. I love Paris. I lived in Paris for a while. Like, you know, I would go during the summers and go to Paris and then come back like to school. And I loved, I lived on Rue des Abbes. I, w- I was a literature guy, right? I was always into yeah. literature. And Rue des Abbes is where all the expatriate writers used to live, Hem- uh, like Hemingway, Henry Miller, all those guys. And so I, I used to, lo- I-, I love living, living up there. That- that's crazy. It's Montmartre, right? So, so, you know, yeah. you have at yeah. the bottom, you have Moulin Rouge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically the world's most famous strip club. And mm-hmm. then at the top, you have yeah. the church. The you have Everybody selling, Bacura, selling, the, uh, beer and stuff to you outside on the steps. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then at the so so it's like you got you got heaven, you got hell, and in between yeah, all the yeah. artists lived on this street called Rue des Abbes. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I just I, I love that man. The time in Paris was just insane. You know, wow. it was it was really really great. Um, well, it seems like you know all, all your life experiences have definitely shaped you know Jason Olive of today and um, you, you, the life of being a father, um, of being a, a coach, but. I think now is yeah. like seeing where your life has gone and we'll talk about some of maybe your goals moving forward now as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love, I'm a person that loves like TV and film because I just love the work. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that's something that's always there, something that I'm always working on, something that I'm, you know, always trying to get better at. And, you know, I've been, been blessed with the opportunities I have and always still, looking for opportunities we created i created my first tv show wrote direct produced acted in with a very great friend of mine kent falcone we were on um a tyler perry show for about five six seasons together so we created this show called brothers-in-law which is about two black lawyers living in la love law in la and it's kind of comedy but it takes on some serious topics right through the lens of comedy um so that is you know, my big project right now for that, but COVID, right. COVID hit, everything shut down right when we were actually getting our pilot out of post, everything shut down. Um, and so what didn't shut down was coaching. Like, Mm -hmm. and so we actually went from like two teams to four teams to now there's four teams and another 25 kids. There's, there's like 92 kids in the club right now. And I am so into it and so passionate that sometimes I have to have, Oh, you know, who's coaching for me? Uh, people will know this name, but uh, Kamalu Makaka Whitaker. She's from the big Island. Mm-hmm. She, she trained. Uh, I always, I always, I always, uh, give her a hard time because she's literally only trained under Olympians. She trained under Kevin Wong, and then she went to play for Stork at at UC Northridge. 
Wow. And so she just got done um, one of the best setters I've ever seen. I went to watch UH. UH actually came and trained in, our, in my high school gym, uh, which is awesome. I love what's going on with that team. I love Robin Amo mm-hmm. and what she brings to Hawaii Wahine Volleyball. Uh, I'm just so glad it's her. Um, she's going to bring that. She's going to bring it all back. That's a great team she's got there. Lundquist, everybody. Um, but well, you're going to uh, be supplying. Actually, you know, some I went of and watched them play. Yeah, I uh, said you're going to be supplying some of this talent. I, I, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. assuming. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the goal. Oh no, no, that that's like on the board. Like that is written down. You know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so. Uh, we, I gotta tell you, we got one of the best liberos in the, in the nation. She's an incredible Pauline Lau. Uh, she's incredible. Uh, but, uh, anyway, so I went and watched them play, but she's, she's coaching for us, uh, which is just such, such a godsend. She is so good. She took this in two tournaments. She took this team up six divisions. It's crazy. Wow. And they're so good. They're, they're just wow. 12s. And then she's got the little ones who are 10. They're just amazing. Um, so that is, you know, kept us safe. It really kept us sane. Yeah. But I, uh, finishing what I was saying is like sometimes I have to say, hey, Kamalo, can you take can you take my team? Oh, yeah. Why? What's going on? Well, I, I, I'm too much. Like, I, I know, like, I have to pull myself <laughs> away from the yeah. team because I'm just like they can't take any more of me. And I don't blame them. So you got to take them for a couple practices because yeah, I'm just like too that. passionate about it. Man. I like that. I, start I like crying. That. The girls are like, "Why are you crying?" I'm like, "Because it's, it's, it's the game, man. Like you can't, you just can't do that." Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or most of the time, it's honestly like when I start tearing up, it's like really great stuff. I'm like, "Oh my god, you you just oh my god," you know. <laughs> like, so they're always they're always laughing at me, man. I, I get super 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 passionate about it and and so that's been great man because i really turned off from the sport for many years you know kind of had these lost years and you know kind of kind of at the end i was kind of trying to extract extricate myself from fashion because here's the thing right there's what everybody sees and sure that's cool and like you're on the buildings and, da, 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 da. and and maybe if my ego was could get fuller of that stuff, maybe that mm-hmm. would be cool. Maybe mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. it would, but it just yeah. doesn't, yeah. right? Ah, and so yeah. what I was looking at is like, look, this is a job with a glass ceiling. Is all I'm looking. Yeah, at. like like uh-huh. you're not uh-huh. like uh-huh. this. This this job has a shelf life to it. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's not uh-huh. like I've been working, you know, on mm-hmm. you know my you know building my real estate <laughs> career or something, you yeah. know, that you can still do when you're of course. sixty, right? And yeah. so when I went, like going back to my last game in 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 college, which that whole situation looked, it didn't end well. I, I was glad we got to the final four, but when we lost that game, I was done, done. Like mm-hmm. you can look at the third place game. I think I get pulled a second game. I was like, done. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm just, I'm just done. I was, yeah. I was so, I was just, everything was in like, I just, I just wanted to play UCLA again. When that didn't happen, I kind of just imploded. I was just done. And, and I was, I was not happy. I was not happy with the sport. I wasn't happy. I didn't have any support within the sport really anymore. And I was just like, I'm going to just go, I'm just going to get on a plane and I'm going to go live this other life because I can. And, you know, again, wish my dad would have said something like, dude, you're pretty good. You should probably (laughs) just go play pro in Italy and do this on the side. Right. Which is what I tell all the younger guys. Mm -hmm. Like I remember great player, Brooke Billings, 
I'm thinking about quitting. I'm like, dude, I will choke you. I, I will. I'm not. I'm not even kidding. Like, I will right now. I will physically choke you if you tell me like you're gonna stop playing volleyball because you want to go chase some whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he gets to go to the Olympics, all that stuff. You make the right decision, but that's what it's about. You got to use your use your use your experiences to help the people behind you. So, you know, for me. All of this stuff leading into finding my love through the sport again, through my daughter. And, mm. you know, I drive a hole through her head with it. But because I'm completely addicted, once I get back in, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to watch myself. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. I'm up to like 2 in the yeah. morning sending rotations for 13 year olds. Who does that? <laughs> like, that's probably that's very me. few people. And then, and True volume. No, 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 no. True story. True story. The other day, and this is the day before we're going in, we're ranked number five in California, right? And the PVL is the power league in California. It's just ridiculous right now. These kids are so good. Like, like there's eight teams that just smash each other every wow. tournament, right? And and so this is the – we're doing a walkthrough the Saturday before, right? This is just last week. I'm at 2.30 in the morning. I hit send on an email just making sure everybody has the paper version of the rotations, Right practice the next day 5 30 p.m the next day we're doing our walkthrough middle blocker who look she hasn't been the most aware she's going to start for the first time to us i've already have issues with her but she's starting and she she starts going coach why where am i supposed to be and i'm like what are you talking about we've done this for two months like what is wrong and like she's like i'm just gonna stop talking i'm just <laughs> and i go okay okay come on guys let's go and then two minutes later Another girl who never has any issues, right? Like, like on it, coach. But should I be here? I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Like, coach, <laughs> this is not, this is not the lineup that we've been practicing for the last two months. I'll go. It's not. <laughs> no, no, you you sent the email, and 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 I and my mom said it was pretty late. <laughs> And and maybe it's the wrong lineup. <laughs> Look, and it's all wrong. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That's when you forgot to cut yourself off. One o'clock. Oh yeah, 12 you gotta cut, cut yourself off. Yeah. And and you know, but but hey, I always tell my kids, if your coach isn't isn't man enough or woman enough to apologize to you, you're in the wrong place, right? So mm-hmm. everything can be a learning point. Like, listen, I make mistakes. This was a huge mistake. I am sorry. Yeah. We got another half hour. Let's get back yeah. to where we were, you yeah. know, but in that way, all this stuff, man, being able to, to teach these kids learning from them in situations like that. I mean, it's literally kept me sane all yeah. COVID. There's my, my, I mean, you know, theatrical stuff is just starting to get back to work. Yeah, right. Of course. And let yeah. me tell you, everything is a, is a, is a video read. Like you have to do the reading. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're yeah. all joking. We're like, you want me to shoot the whole film for you? I mean, you want me to put 10, I have to have perfect lighting, perfect. Dad, and it's 10 pages of material. Well, you, know? I, 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 you talked about your dad. I had to have my dad read with me for dynasty. And there was a part where a guy takes this dude from the bar to the back and they start making out. So if okay, you have any wrong. awkward that, moments to have to audition. That, <laughs> oh, oh, it, 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 okay. I, I have not had one that bad. You, you, you get the lay for that one. I mean, that is the worst I've ever heard. It was so awkward. I was just about to say, how many characters can my yeah. wife play? 
<laughs> she is yeah. the most well-rounded actress I've ever met. I mean, wow. you know, she's been a 300-pound bo- bouncer. She's been a, you know, I mean, yeah. She's been a five-year-old wow. kid. She's been everybody. Yeah. No, it's true. So it's just brutal, right? Yeah, so you got to have, you gotta you have know, that support. Your, your really wife has been keeping us Yeah. She's had to put in you, you those readers. You know, they expect you. At, it, it's just a different world, as we know, for COVID. But, you know, it's been amazing and inspiring to see just your work, just all that you've um, you've accomplished in your life. But of course, everybody's gonna you know always associate Jason Olive with Hawaii because we love to keep all the people that played for us and that uh, we love to claim them. But um, what are your final shout outs uh, or Hawaii memories or people you might wanna uh, shout out from your time at UH? Well, listen, you know, I always have such um, a deep love for Coach Alan Rosehill and uh, for Coach Crab for, for giving me that opportunity. You know, and then, you know, like, you know, I've mentioned them, I know, a few times, but that team, man, in, in like one time I got to play against Alan Allen. We went to Samoa. I used to. Wow. I, I didn't know this. I had forgot this, but Alan told me this was just like, I don't know, maybe within the last year. He was like. No, man, don't you remember you used to be the ball boy at the World League? Like there was like this World League that he was playing in. They used to play at the forum here. And I was like, no, I actually don't like I so vaguely remember. But it does sound like me, like just trying to get close to these guys. He goes, yeah, you used to just sit there and stare at us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, man, and, and, you know, getting just, I don't know, man, just, it's all about that brotherhood and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Hawaii, I just, I just found a place I belong. Those, those group of guys like Rico Guillomares, who was my senior in, in, in Hawaii. He's, uh, he's, uh, actually going to come do a clinic with us. He's been training us, you know, gold, gold medalist beach teams forever at this point. And, you know, um, Presho, you know, coached, Pepperdine to being something and several national championships, you know, as probably has always been there with Mm -hmm. them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the tree, you know, what a really cool part of the tree was that I didn't realize was, you know, I I saw that Pitt had upset. Who did they upset? Yeah. They upset somebody, but then I'm looking, Oh, Utah. And Mm -hmm. I had, I had watched Utah play, uh, USC and UCLA and Utah mm-hmm. was very good, right? They yeah. were one of the top seats yeah. coming in. And then I look and it says Coach Fisher. I'm like, there's only one Fisher. There's only one fish. And I look and I go, oh my God, it's Fish, you know, who had come to UH my last year. And, mm. you know, I never talked to Fish that, you know, there yeah. was a big disparity yeah. between of the course. top of the roster and the bottom. Yeah. And I was yeah. a senior and I was living of off campus and doing. Yeah my very own thing but he's always such an amazing guy such a great guy and you know seeing that you know and then he came back and coached at uh i think for a little while mm-hmm. but you know seeing him go and have all this you know great coaching success yeah. i mean that's real success yeah, that's that's collegiate success when you can take a program that really you know hasn't done a whole lot and, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're beating a team like utah that's that's building a program, yeah, you know, Soji yeah. built a program, yeah, of course. Rose Hill bro- built a program, you know, there's these certain coaches that, mm-hmm. you know, they just dumpy, you know, these yeah. guys, um, uh, that, that, that built the collegiate programs that, um, every single one of them, uh, met, meant so much to me because I was either a huge admirer like Al Skates 
or I just wanted to kill them because they didn't recruit me like Preston at UCSB. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I spent all that money on I heard, kid. I remember I'll, the, you, the I'll, you took that guy? <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. I'm going to smash you. That's right. I mean, you got to use that as motivation, right? Well, Al Skates, I heard too, would take yeah. guys just a stockpile of them just to have like. Yes, that's why I didn't team. go. That's why yeah. I didn't go. I wasn't yeah. going anywhere that said they didn't have money. I wasn't going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, because, you know, I knew that I needed some work on my game. Um, and so, you know, Hawaii gave me that opportunity, man. And, and I, I just wanted to play for a top tier program. And like I said, see, that's the thing. Because they didn't get mm-hmm. to that post game turn, they didn't get to do the post tournament. Sorry, yeah. the postseason tournament. People mm-hmm. don't understand the level of volleyball that yeah. that UH team was playing. That was some of the greatest volleyball you ever seen in your life. So you talk mm-hmm. about entertaining and fast and fun and crazy. I mean, the first play I saw was Lyman, like like. Damien turned to play a ball behind him, which you're never supposed to do. And then, mm-hmm. and then, and then dove over the guy and then Lyman slid on his knees, go slid on his knees to the, to the left side and set a red from his knees. I just like, Oh my, <laughs> give me the papers. Oh my God. That was, you know, I, I you know, I want to do that. You know, yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. And I, I would like, I would like to see, you know, UH bring some of that stuff back. Where's the slide. Yeah. Yeah. Like how yeah. can you not hit a slide? Yeah. I, know, I love hitting slides. I, I, you don't see them at all ever. And even the, well, the men's game, I feel like in general, I haven't seen too many in the men's game. First. But, you know, it's all about no, hitting bigs, well, hitting no, out of the back no, no, row no, no. and see, being this fancy. Is, this is, wait, wait, wait. Okay, before we get off this, I know we okay. probably talk way too long because I talk too much. I don't care. Oh, no, you can talk uh, as long as you want. But, yeah. So, look, look, this is it. We got to get this straight. Because I just went through this with a pro women's player, middle ball. Okay, said, okay, okay. Said, you know, we were we were joking. We she's actually in my TV show too. Uh, she's great, uh, Kristen Overton. And uh, so I said, um, you know, why don't you be the first woman to hit a hit a front slide? She goes, we hit slides all 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 the time. And she sends me the video, and it's the three step. What used to yeah. be called a G. Okay, it used yeah, to be called okay. a G. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know why, but G. Boom. Right, three seconds. Yeah. I go, no, no, no. That's not a slide. That, that thing, yeah. That's called a slide now, but that's not what the original ah, slide was. Ah, the ah. slide goes right to left across the center. Oh, you mean a push? No, it's not a push, <laughs> right? A push is a push is like a push one, right? That's yeah. not a push because the block because the hitter is not sliding. The, the hitter is still coming mm. like straight on for yeah. the most part. Okay, but we hit a slide, a real slide, and a front okay. slide goes right across. So you're jumping, you're taking off uh, parallel with mm-hmm. the, center, the center, and you're yeah. jumping past them mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. you can go. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if you got some hops, that could be a good four or five feet. And that's when it becomes devastating because you're in the air before the ball's in the air, but you're traveling laterally to the net, right? And you can run it front and you can run it back. And I think that what's happened with the game is that it's almost like volleyball is so like nepotistic and insular Mm. that it's almost like the game agrees to things like, okay, now we're going to agree that the offenses are going to look like this, or now uh-huh. we're going to agree that uh-huh. this is in yeah. on, on trend or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that they don't look at what the fundamental principle of winning a volleyball game is. Right. 
which is Mm -hmm. making Mm -hmm. the other team miss the ball. That's the only thing you can do Mm -hmm. that will make you win every game is make the other team miss the ball. How do you do that? Well, you have to um, imbalance them, right? So a slide is incredible in terms Mm -hmm. of creating an imbalance because you either travel with it or it's over. Mm. There's no, there's, there's no greater. There's no greater. You can't, you can't hot block a slide, right? You can't soft block a slide. You, you're either up on it as a defender or it's over. And that's one of the things that was so successful with that 95 team. When you have a hitter like UV that you cannot block him one-on-one, a slide forces you to pick your, pick your poison. Mm-hmm. It forces you mm-hmm. to even more than a three because of a three, a guy is already out there. You see where he's coming from. Yeah. But with the slide, you have no idea whether the guy is hitting a, a, a one or, or a slide. Right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's really devastating when you have a guy that can hit a D like uh, UV or like Rado. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Great so I don't, Fun and that's, that's, that's the stuff that, <laughs> that's the stuff that I geek out on. Well, I love, we love geeking out with you. We're just, I told you, I know, I know we can get you started, but you know, we're going to have to bring you on again. I feel like, because we've just, uh, you know, uh, experienced just the beginning of what a crazy story it's been for our journey. It's been for you. And, uh, I know it's just the beginning. There's so much left down the pipe for Jason Olive as well, but I just want to thank you for joining us and mahalo to your family as well for, for allowing us to steal you away for a little while tonight. Hey, well, thank you guys. You know, always, always lead, lead with love. Always keep it 100. Remember where you came from. Remember where you're going. Mahalo, Jason. Mahalo for joining us. And we'll we'll definitely stay uh, in touch with you and hopefully have you again on soon. Aloha. Hey, thanks, Wayne. Respect, bro. Thank you. That was Jason Olive. He is, uh, all-American. He is an actor, supermodel, and we hope that he continues uh, to stay close to all of us in Hawaii because you know how much we love to claim our superstars, our rock stars of yesteryear as well as today. So Hawaii men's volleyball on the way to the NCAA championships next year and uh, next week, next year, next week, Columbus, Ohio. We already have to wait over a year for this game. We're finally going to be there. Hawaii in their first match. We'll see who they play, but next week, Thursday, our next week, Wednesday show will be live from Columbus, Ohio. So pay attention. Sorry, my camera already died because, you know, we just had too much fun tonight. We'll talk to you guys later. Aloha. Aloha.